Welcome to The Jesus Follower, a podcast about helping ordinary people be close to an extraordinary God. The goal? To help you experience the life you were designed to live in the good times, tough times, and in the moments that nobody else sees. Amen. Um, I do want to say before I get started as well, you know, we had uh, we had something going on here every day this week. We had a you know, VBS Monday through Friday, and we had a a celebration of life yesterday. And, you know, there is a whole lot of you that's even sitting out there that had a huge part in what God did this week as we served his name together. And I'll, I'll be honest with you, one of the treasures for me in it all is seeing the body of Christ come together and function in unity as a body of Christ, all for his glory and his purpose. Um, and so as I, as I saw people use and God used people's different gifts, I mean, there were people that were bringing in food, people that were serving food, people that were leading kids, people that were teaching kids, people that were doing craft. I can tell you there are parts, there are, there are areas in that that you don't want me to be a part of. And so I praise God that he gives us all different gifts. You don't want me cooking food for the children. That's why my wife does all of it for our children at home and why they, they remain fed, right? And so I just want to say thank you. Like, I feel like it's not sufficient enough, but thank you all so much for all of you that had such a big part, whether it was prayer or serving or whatever the part may have been, because really it takes us all working together for his kingdom and for his glory, doesn't it? And so we couldn't do it on our own. We need one another to do it uh, so that we can do it efficiently and do it together. And, and, and I just, I'm just so thankful for everybody that had a part. And because so many was willing to step up and have a part, that allowed me to let loose a little bit and be just as goofy as I naturally am without having to worry about so many other different things because all of the parts were covered so well. Uh, so with that in mind, I want to I wanna just share a little illustration with you to get us started. We're going to be in Jeremiah chapter 7 this morning, Uh, and this message is for the graduates, but it's also for all of us, I think, this morning. But I I have a picture that I'm going to ask them to throw up here, and I I met um, an opponent, a formidable opponent this week in my competitive nature, and her picture is on the screen right now. You can see the fire, right, in, in my opponent there. Uh, Miss Sophie uh, proved this week to be a formidable opponent to me. I didn't realize that I, I could be outdone by a five to six-year-old, six yep, six-year-old. But then I saw this picture and I realized, you know what, it's possible because I, I, I just don't know that I got the fire like that. You know, it's like, ah, you know. So one of the things that I always like to do is I, I like to really ramp up the competition. I'm competitive, and so if you we would have come into church this week, you would have found two bins that looked like this. One was for the girls, and one was for the boys, or that's what it was supposed to be, until Pastor Daniel tried to pull a fast one one day, and unfortunately, the first one that came in was Miss Sophie. And so what I did is I thought, you know what, I'll play a trick on them because the boys rarely win, so I'm going to try to help the boys out. And I even put a Z on the end of the boys to make it look cooler, you know, really to ramp it up, you know, really take it up a notch. And, and so these bins this week, our offering went to our food pantry ministry here at the church that goes to serve so many in our community. And so they brought in cans uh, of food for our food pantry ministry as the offering. But uh, one day, I don't remember which day it was, but I thought, you know what, I'm just going to put boys on both the 
containers when they bring their food in. It'll go to the boys either way. So you would have walked in and little Sophie walked in and this is what she saw. I don't know if you can see it. Boys or boys was the options. And I thought, I thought, you know, this will be just a fun way to kind of mess with them and see how this goes, see if I can get all the cans to come into the boys so the boys have a chance to win. Well, as soon as that fire walked in and she looked at those containers, she said, no. And I said, what? She said, where's the, it's got to be the girls. Where are the girls? And I said, what, you don't like, you don't want to give to the boys? No, we have to give to the girls. I said, okay. So I thought in all my uh, Kentucky education, I'd be able to outsmart. That's what I was thinking in all this. And so what I did first is I said, okay, uh, I'll, and, and, I, and I got a girl's paper and I wrote girls on it and I put it over top of the boys covering here. And I was thinking this, see, this is very, very thoughtful. I thought, well, once she leaves, I'll just fold it up and tape it to the back and boys will still be showing. But Sophie, it wasn't cutting it with her. I mean, I just couldn't get it by her. And she's like, no, you got to have the girls. And then Miss Didi went and made this pretty girls one just like this. And then it was all over. You know, she put stickers on it. My boys one didn't look that cool, even with a Z. And she put all these, these stickers in it and it was pink. And I thought, you know what? I'm still going to try. I still think I can do this. And I was trying to think outside the box. And so then I thought, well, I'll put boys on the back. And as I'm chasing Sophie, I'll just gradually turn it around like this and won't let her know. And so I was chasing after us. I'm going to get you. And she was giggling and running. And I just gradually, I thought I was as smooth as could be. I just twisted it around. And it said boys and boys again. Well, Sophie, after she got done running away, she just trotted right back and turned it right back around and didn't say a word. And I'm like, how did you even know? Like, I thought I was being so incredibly smooth with this. But I didn't get her. But it set fire. But I had one more idea. I thought, what if I take the stick? Well, I actually even tried to employ Scott, her dad, to do it while I distracted her, and that didn't work. But I thought, what if I didn't spell boys all the way out? I just spelled it out partially. And I don't know if you can see this, but I didn't, you, I didn't, I didn't finish all the B or the O or the Y or the Z. And I thought, you know what? If she don't know what's coming, I'll just wait until she gives up on the chase. And then I'll go in and fill in the rest of the word. And we have boys and boys again. I was really working this. I thought I, thought I could get the six-year-old. But... Believe it or not, she saw right through my plan and she knew that what I was going to write was going to be boys whenever she left. And she actually, at this point, I think, tore it off, crumbled it up and threw it away just to make sure that, uh, that it did not happen like I was trying to get it to happen. So I never realized that I would, I would have met such a formidable opponent. But then when I saw this picture, I was like, well, that makes sense. I should have, I wish I could have saw that at first. Maybe I wouldn't have tried so many times. Uh, but you know, I, I thought about this picture here and, and you know, when I, when I wrote this, the idea was, you know, I'll just, I'll just do it in part and maybe she won't see through my effort to just write it in part and won't see through to the truth that I could have done a lot more and that it's really supposed to spell something else just whenever you're not around. 
And as I was thinking about that, I thought, you know, the six-year-old child saw right through my efforts to do things in part. And, and you know, the, I was thinking about that when it ca- comes to God, that, that sometimes you and I may try to do things in part when it comes to God and think that we can justify around just giving God a part of ourselves instead of the whole thing. And just like with that six-year-old child, you know, she looked at that and she's like, come on, I know what you're going to spell. I know what you're going to do. I can see the word that you're going to make. You're not fooling anybody. I thought, you know, I bet God thinks the same thing when we try to just give him part. That he sees the part of our life that we're giving him and it's not complete, it's not full, it's not completely surrendered and turned over. And he sees right through our justifications, our half-hearted efforts. He sees right through to the whole picture as to what he would want to do and what he has desired to do with our life and what we are trying to do and only giving him part. Does that make sense? And, and as I've read in Jeremiah, and, and as I've been reading through Jeremiah, one of the things that I've, that I've found, and this is, is for the graduates and for all of us, is that it, God deserves more than just a part. God deserves more than just a part. God deserves all of us, and he actually requires and he commands for us to give him all of us. He is the King of kings and Lord of lords. And, and as I've been reading Jeremiah, the incredible thing is, is how beautiful God looks even in the midst of judgment. And so many times we, we get this idea, especially in our culture today, that if we talk about God, we need to talk about the loving side. We need to talk about how he is loving and, and how he is good and how he did die for, and only the good stuff. But you know, he is loving even in the midst of judgment. He is still a loving God, even when judgment comes. And you and I, I think, and myself included, there have been times that, that I do, and, and, and for those that I've, are going on to another season in life, you know, sometimes in those moments or when we change seasons of life, we try at times to only give God a peace. And, uh, and the peace that we're wanting to have, and then that's enough to justify the rest of what we want to do. But I want you to know this morning that God never desires just a peace. He desires complete and full surrender. You know, I always find it fascinating that when the disciples, when he called the disciples to follow him, he did not give any, he did not give any loopholes or outs for them to leave. He didn't go up to the shore and say, follow me if you feel like it, if you have time, if you're not tired. He didn't say any of those things. He just said, follow me. And the expectation was with all that they were to drop everything and to go after Jesus. So do we give God just a part of us or have we truly surrendered everything? In Jeremiah chapter seven, I want you to, to, if you could turn there with me, if you may already be there, I wanna look at verse number 13 first. Uh, Jeremiah chapter seven, we're gonna, we're gonna look at verse 13. Really, we can look at all the chapter. It's a, a really great chapter. It's a chapter of judgment as so much of Jeremiah is, but I, I want us again to focus in on the greatness of who God is, even in the midst of judgment. More than just a part God desires from us, and, and so we're gonna see that here as he talks to his people, Israel, and 
to us today. In Jeremiah 7, verse 13, he says this, and now, because you have done all these works, saith the Lord, and I spake unto you, rising up early in speaking, but ye heard not, and I called you, but you answered not, therefore will I do unto this house, which is called by my name, wherein ye trust, and unto the place which I gave you, and to your fathers, as I have done to Shiloh. Now, now when God reveals this word to Jeremiah, he does so kind of in the temple, in the doorway of the temple, in the temple, in the doorway of his house. And so when you see something like this, I spake unto you rising up early and speaking. When you think about the concept of rising early to communicate with someone, it kind of gives you that impression that the one they're communicating with is important to them. Do you get that? I mean, you and I, a lot of times, especially if we're not morning people, we're just not going to get up early just to do, just to communicate with anybody, right? And sometimes, even if we really wanted to, you don't want to communicate with us early, right? Because we are not going to be in the mood. And you work with teenagers for a while, you see that. You are, you are not going to be in the mood. But God says, I, I spake unto them early. And so one of the things, even in the midst of judgment that I find about God is that God wants a relationship with us. Isn't, isn't that an incredible truth? And, and you think about it all throughout Scripture, way back at the beginning in the garden, what does it say Adam and Eve did with God? He, they, they walked, they, they, taught, they fellowshiped with God in the garden, didn't they? God created man and woman and God, God fellowshiped with them all the way from the beginning. God desired a relationship with mankind. Mankind was special in the eyes of God. And, and it's just such an incredible thing to think that, that, that he wants a relationship. He wants intimacy. He wants to know us that we are special in the eyes of the almighty creator of all the universe. You know, when it comes to Israel over and over again, we see that they, they have this problem of doing their own thing instead of listening to God. And God said, I rose up early to speak to you, but you would not listen to me. And I started thinking about that and thinking about the reality of the greatness of who God is, that, that he would desire a relationship with you and I. And there are multiple places in the scripture where it proves to be true. If we go back, and I don't know if the verses are on the screen or not, I didn't put them. If we go back to Exodus 19, verses three through six, and if you wanna turn there, you can, or you can just listen. Uh, but I wanna read to you uh, some scripture that just supports this concept. It says in, in Exodus 19, verse three through six, it says, and Moses went up unto God and the Lord called unto him out of the mountain saying, thus shalt thou say to the house of Jacob and tell the children of Israel, you have seen what I did unto the Egyptians and now I bear you on eagles' wings and brought you unto myself. Now therefore, if you will obey my voice indeed and keep my covenant, then you shall be a peculiar treasure unto me above all people for all the earth is mine. And you shall be unto me a kingdom of priests and a holy nation. These are the words which thou shalt speak unto the children of Israel. And Moses came and called for the elders of the people and laid before their faces all these words which the Lord commanded him. And in Leviticus chapter 26 verse 12 is another place. And I know we get really excited when we hear Leviticus, uh, but, but here we go. Leviticus 26 verse 12 says this, and I will walk among you and will be your God and ye shall be my people. 
all throughout the Bible, God says, and you know, so many times, and we talked about this last week, so many times we may feel like that we, that God doesn't, it doesn't care and that we're not worthy and that we can never be good enough and we got to clean ourselves up before we come to him. But the reality is, is that God desires a relationship with you. He knows that we're sinful. He knows that we disobey, but he loves us anyway. And that's what makes God so much greater than anything else we'll ever know is because he knows us intimately. He knows the areas in our life where we only give him part and he loves us anyway. He knows the areas in our life where, where, we, uh, where we just kind of brush him aside. He knows the areas in our life when we do things that we know better. He knows the areas of our life where we've made really big mistakes that we don't want anybody else to know or anybody else to see. God knows all those components about our life. God knew everything about Israel's life. But you see in, in Jeremiah that he still talks about this desire to commune, to fellowship, to know them. Even in the midst of all that. And when I read stuff like that, it kind of just blows me away, you know, because uh, there are people in this world that feel like, and it's a natural feeling that we are unworthy, that feel like that, how could God love us? How could he, he want a relationship with me? And I understand that questioning, but I also want to say that he absolutely does. And all you got to do is open the pages of the scripture to find out that that is a consistent theme all throughout scripture. And as a matter of fact, whether you go to the Old Testament or to the New, he actually came down to the earth on our behalf. He wanted to know us so much. He loved us so much. God desires to have a relationship. And as, I, as I've read uh, Jeremiah, that's what I see. I know that it's judgment. I know that it's harsh. I know that he seems heartbroken and troubled by their disobedience. But incredibly enough, he desires a relationship with them. You know, I know one of the times when I was out of, the, out of church most in all my life was when I graduated high school and I started college. That was the longest stint that I was out of church and out of that really close fellowship with God. Because I was away from home, I was living uh, actually at Campbellsville University. Uh, Miss Bev knows Campbellsville University. I was living there and I was on the tennis, playing tennis there. I was, I was you know, making friends and all this and, uh, and I was just, I got busy in life. And I spent a, a period of time that I was, I was not active. I was not really serving like I should have been. I was outside of church. And probably all of us have had phase, seasons in life where maybe that's been the case for us. But, you know, when it comes to, uh, especially for the graduates and for all of us, is that when it comes to God, though, we have to understand that a, a, a king of kings and lord of lords, a father that sits on the throne like he does, like, like to just give him that part and to miss out on all the relationship and the opportunity that he would have for us is a terrible miss, isn't it? I mean, those moments that I think back to are moments that I missed, opportunities that I missed to really grow close to him, to really sink into him, to grow in my intimacy to impact those around for the gospel, those were really moments missed. And I have a period in my life where I missed a lot of moments. I see Elizabeth back there in these two. And maybe some of you can identify with that. But there was a period in time when I wasn't really focused on the gospel at all. I wasn't sharing the gospel with people. I wasn't growing closer. I wasn't in the word. 
And you know, Tiffany and I both, we've been out of high school so long now, years. You know, it hits different when people start dying that you went to high school with. And you realize that you were in that building, in that classroom with them every single day, nearly for years. And because you were only giving part and you weren't doing what God had called you to do and you were distracted and you lost sight or whatever the case may be, you never shared the gospel. You never shared Jesus with your friend. And really when they started, when we had some friends that passed away, it really hit home. And I would say for the graduates, like, man, you know, to have those moments that you miss and you see people dying and you think to yourself, did they know Jesus? Lord, I, it's very convicting, isn't it? And when I, when I was in high school and when I went to college and when I missed that time, I think back on those times and I think, man, Lord, I really made mistakes. I really failed you. I really have a gap in my relationship where you didn't go anywhere, but I was, le- I was going astray and I was not doing what I should have done. And in the process of that, it didn't only impact me, it impacted those around me that I could have been sharing your son with all along the way. But here's the awesome thing about God, is that even though that was the case for me, when I repented, he forgave me. When I, when he, when he pulled me back and when he helped me to realize what I had done and the mistakes that I had made and how I had went astray, you know, when he pulled me back, he still loved me so much more than I could have ever imagined. Even in the midst of of my wayward time, even in the midst of that gap, even in the midst of me being so incredibly unworthy because all those years I was raised in church, I was the one that knew better, but I just neglected it for all those years. But when I ran back to him, God was still a God that wanted a relationship. God was still a God that loved me and forgave me and brought me back to where I needed to be. So I I wanna say that to you to say this, that it doesn't matter where we are now, it matters what we do from this point forward, doesn't it? I mean, we can't change anything that we've done in the past, we can't drag it along with us and say, oh, I wish I hadn't made that, I mean, that may be the case, but the reality is, is the, the best thing for us to do now, and that's what God wanted Israel to know, is to come back to him and repent, and he will forgive you because he wants a relationship with you, but you have to come to him. And when he talks to Israel, even in, as we talked about last week, 400 plus years of disobedience, as he talked to them, that's what he keeps saying is, I wanted you to come. I tried to talk to you. I woke up early to speak with you and you just would not hear me. So church, we serve a God that desires a relationship with you. And it doesn't matter. And I thought about this when I was thinking about him as a shepherd. You know, he doesn't talk about, when he talks about going to find the one that went astray, he doesn't ever talk about like, oh, that was just one that was dirty or that was one that was unwanted or that was one that I, you know, I I didn't care much for. It was just a sheep like all the rest, right? And so, so he says, when he, when he talks about it, he says, look, I desire and I love them and I want to know them just as much as I want to know the rest of the sheep. Yes, they go wayward. Yes, we fall short. Yes, we make mistakes. But there is forgiveness and there is love found at the feet of the Father. But we've got to come to him. 
And Israel just refused to come. But look at what he says. Not only does he desire a relationship with us, uh, but here's the other thing that he desires or almost requires really is if we go to verse number 21 of Jeremiah 7, look at what it says. Thus says the Lord of hosts, the God of Israel, put your burnt offerings into your sacrifices and eat flesh. For I spake unto, you, uh, unto your fathers, nor commanded them in the day that I brought them out of the land of Egypt concerning burnt offerings or sacrifices. But this thing commanded I them saying, obey my voice and I will be your God and ye shall be my people. And walk ye in all the ways that I have commanded you that it may be well unto you. Uh, so not only does he want a relationship with us, but he wants, he wants obedience. He desires obedience. He requires obedience from us. It's not just enough for us to say, yeah, I know God and I have a general knowledge, just a head knowledge of him. He says, I want to know you intimately. I want you to obey. I want you to, to listen to the commands that I have given you. And that's what he desired for Israel as well. But one of the things that happened with Israel is the same thing that can happen to us today is they continued with the sacrifices, but they neglected in, the, in, in obedience. So, so they would bring the sacrifices. They may worship their other gods over here and they may make uh, their idols over here, but they would still go to the temple and they would still try to appease God with their sacrifices as well. And God's like, listen, it's not so much about the sacrifices as it is about the obedience. You and I cannot say to God, I love you, and then serve everything else over here, and then go after everything else over here, and put God second all the time, and then come into his house and just expect that he is going to be pleased with our worship. He expects obedience, not a piece of obedience, not secondhand obedience, not the third or fourth. Not he says, I want, I have required you to obey. I have commanded you to obey. And as a matter of fact, as we go into John chapter 15, 14 and 15, we see the words of Jesus reiterating the same thing that God has already said to his people. And he just, he just kind of couples love with it in an incredible way. But if we, if we go to John chapter 15, uh, we see that he does this in verse number 12. He says this, he says, this is my commandment that you love one another as I have loved you. Greater love hath no man than this, that a man lay down his life for his friends. You are my friends if you do whatsoever I command you. But if we, if we hop up to verse number 10, he says, if you keep my commandments, you shall abide in my love, even as I have kept my father's commandments and abide in his love. And then if we, if we jump over to John chapter 14 and we look at verse 15, he says this, if you love me, keep my commandments. And so over and over again, Jesus Jesus reiterates the same thing that God says to his people Israel, the same thing that he's been saying all along is that I want you just to obey the things that I've commanded you. And then Jesus says, if you love me, obedience is going to come as a natural progression. So the incredible thing about the Bible is God doesn't change. He's the same yesterday, today, and forever. Not only does he desire a relationship, but he also desires obedience. He also commands us to obey. And one of the dangers in Israel was their obedience was divided. So yes, they would obey God here, but it's not so much, it's not just about coming to church and obeying God while you're in front of other people that expect certain things. It's about obeying God in that secret place as well. 
It's about, about obeying God in your, in your heart of hearts. It's about obeying God in what you're thinking and what you're doing and how you're living. It's about obeying God in everything. It's not just a, a piece because he'll see right through that, right? But as, as we grow in our intimacy and our relationship, the obedience needs to be complete. He desires for us to obey him in everything. And if love is connected to that obedience, then that obedience will be more sure and more true. Does that make sense? So many times I think, and, I, and I've been there before. I, I, I live life and life is busy. And all my week, it's just me trying to keep up from one thing to the next. And me just trying to keep up is not me focusing and giving God the, 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 the focus and my heart the way that he deserves to have it. It's just me trying to make it through the week. And then I, I'm so busy all week long and then I get to church. And church is the place where, we're where we come to worship and where we want to be in tune and where we want to feel the spirit move and lead. And, and I spent all week distracted and running after this and running after that. And then I come to church and I just want to worship, but I feel so far from God in that moment because all the rest of my week has not really been truly and fully for him. It's been just me trying to keep up with everyone else and everything else. Does anyone relate to that? And I'm like, Lord, but, I, but, I, but I'm here now. Lord, I, I want to worship you now. And it's almost like that still small voice says, where were you the other days? You, you come and you expect me just to show up for you. Why don't you show up for me? And I find that one of the most important things about our lives is truly our intimate personal relationship with Christ on a daily basis. Because when that is lacking, it's gonna affect your worship, it's gonna affect your testimony, it's gonna affect your witness, it's gonna affect everything else about your life if your connection to God isn't what it needs to be. If there, are sin in your, if there is sin in your life, if there is disobedience, if God is not getting all of you but only getting a piece of the picture, if we are trying to submit that to him and saying, yeah, God, I know that I missed it over here and I missed it over there, but I came to church today, he's probably thinking, but I see the whole picture and you didn't do it the rest of the week. You came a day. I've given my life. And it's incredibly convicting to me to think that there have been times and there have been where I think I've done enough. I checked that box and I, I've been to church and I've read my Bible today and I've done, but the rest of the time I'm not focused on him at all. And I'm like, I try to submit that and, and subconsciously and think that it's okay, but it's like, why would that be okay? Did Jesus come just to die for one person? Did Jesus come just to suffer a little? Did Jesus come and then leave before it was all fulfilled? No, Jesus came and died for everybody and gave everything and left it all, not just a part. And Jesus is the only one that has ever fulfilled the obedience component in a relationship with God 100%. He got it all right and he gave it all. God says, listen, all I wanted 
Israel was obedience. I really desired your obedience. I woke up and I wanted a relationship. And in that relationship, I expected obedience because I am the God of all creation. I am the King of kings and Lord of lords. And he deserves all of our obedience. But the thing is, is that Israel wouldn't listen. And look, not only that, look at what he says in verse number 24. And we see there, the first word is that conjunction, but that, that's getting ready to flip the page. It says, but they hearken not, nor inclined their ear, but walked in the counsels and in the imagination of their evil hearts and went backward and not forward. Have you ever been there where you feel like from year to year, day to day, you go backward in your relationship instead of forward? Every year, I, I, God is, seems to challenge me to evaluate my spiritual life and see if every year I'm growing closer to Christ or if I'm falling the wrong direction. And maybe you do some of the same things. Maybe you do that on a weekly basis. But the reality is, is that there have been times that I've questioned that. There have been times that I have struggled with that because my desire, as your desire is, to be sanctified, right? To become more like Christ, to grow closer to him. But how many times it's, is it that we some, may, may feel like that we're going backward instead of forward? That's what Israel did. He says in verse 25, since the day that your fathers came forth out of the land of Egypt unto this day, I have even sent unto you all my servants, the prophets, daily rising up early and sending them, yet they hearken not unto me, nor incline their ear, but harden their neck. They did worse than their fathers. Therefore thou shalt speak all these words unto them, but they will not hearken to thee. Thou shalt also call unto them, but they will not answer thee. One of the most challenging things is when you desperately want someone to see the truth because it's the difference in their eternity and they won't listen to what you're saying. When you have that lost loved one or that lost friend that you share the gospel with over and over again and you're like, don't you see that your current pattern of living is not working? Don't you see that this is not ending well? Don't you see that you are continuing to suffer? And it doesn't matter how much that you tell them about the truth of Jesus, they won't hear you, they won't hear you, they won't hear you, and it's so frustrating. And you think about that, and Jeremiah was doing that to a whole nation, and God says, look, they're not gonna listen to you. They're not looking to move forward, they're going backward. They're not there to listen and to grow, they wanna do their own thing. And I think God's message to, to Israel and message to us and message to the graduates is whatever season we find ourselves in life, God deserves more than just a part. He deserves the whole thing. Israel tried to justify their way around what they wanted to do and how they wanted to live. They tried to appease God here while still worshiping Baal and serving other gods over here. They tried to still go through the process of sacrifice and still claim their allegiance to God and get the benefits from that, although they wanted to do other things over here. And they tried to submit that to God, but God's like, no, that's not gonna work. I haven't called you to do that. I've called you, uh, you are my people to be completely obedient to me, to follow me. And I think one of the greatest illustrations of that, if we jump into the New Testament, this was just a, a passage that jumped in, in Matthew chapter 19, Jesus has this conversation with this fellow that we often call the rich young ruler. Y'all remember that? You probably do. Uh, have I put everyone to sleep? I didn't hear any, uh, that's all right. 
I can do that with kids uh, sometimes uh, of all ages, apparently. Uh, but anyway, Matthew 19, verse 16. Look at, look, at, look at how this happens. Jesus has this conversation. And behold, one came and said unto him, good master, what good things shall I do that I may have eternal life? And he said unto him, why callest thou me good? There is none good but one, that is God. But if thou wilt enter into life, keep the commandments. He saith unto him, which Jesus said, thou shalt, do no, uh, thou shalt do no murder, thou shalt not commit adultery, thou shalt not steal, thou shalt not bear false witness, honor thy father and thy mother, and thou shalt love thy neighbor as thyself. The young man saith unto him, all these things have I kept from my youth up, what lack I yet? So you see, when, when Jesus brings out the rules and the list of standards, He's like, yep, I've done that. Now, whether he had or not, that's another question. But yes, I've done that. Yes, I've done that. I've checked all my boxes. I've done all my things. I must be good. What else do you got for me, Jesus? But see, Jesus is not fooled by the portion of picture that we want to show him because Jesus sees the whole thing. And for this, young, this rich young ruler, even though he claims to have been doing all of it, Jesus wasn't fooled by that. So Jesus takes it a step further. He doesn't stop there. He says, Jesus said unto him, if thou wilt be perfect, go and sell that thou hast and give to the poor, and thou shalt have treasure in heaven. Step one, he says, okay, if you want to get it right then, you say you've done all these things, you've checked your boxes, you've, you've kept this standard in your own mind, and you're trying to submit this to me and say that you're good and, and you, you deserve eternal life, all right, go and sell all your possessions and give them to the poor. That was step one, right? And, and so we know that he, he was a man of great wealth because the Bible tells us that, and so this would have been probably an idol in his life. And so he said, okay, effectively get rid of your idol." Throw it out. Give it away. Give it to someone who needs it. Because all of us, if we're not careful, we can develop some idols in our life that we don't even realize sometimes that they're there and that they are idols. And then we read the word of God and it brings it out and it says, hey, if anything is more important than him in your life, you're in danger of that becoming an idol. But he doesn't just say get rid of your idol because that would only be half complete. But he also says, if we read it, and come and follow me. Notice that, that, that he doesn't stop with that, and a lot of times we think, hey, I'm just, gonna, I'm just gonna lay this aside, and I'm just gonna get rid of this, and I'm gonna throw all these things away. And we say, once I do that, then I'll be good. But no, Jesus said, I don't just want you to get rid of the bad stuff that you're doing that gets in the way of your relationship. I want a relationship with you. Come and follow me. Because Jesus is God, and God is the same yesterday, today, and forever, and God is a God who wants a relationship with you. Even in Jesus Christ, we see that to be the case, and we know, how did the rich young ruler respond? He didn't. He walked away, didn't he? Because sometimes the idols in our life are more important to us than what we realize. And what Jesus, Jesus doesn't just require us to get rid of stuff. He wants us. He wants our life. He wants our surrender. 
And so it's not, it's not this, this kind of version where we, we just kind of try to appeal and appease little by little and try to knock these things out of the way. He said, that's all fine and good, and that's definitely a part of it, and we need to repent of that. But the next step and the most important thing is to follow. And it's not to follow in part, and there's no place where you find that where Jesus says, hey, I want you to follow as long as it's convenient. He never says that, does he? I want you to follow as long as you're not tired. I want you to follow if you have time. He doesn't say any of those things. The scripture is very clear over and over again. He says, I want all of you because I want a relationship with you. I want to love you. I want to shepherd you. I have a purpose for your life. I have a plan for you. I want more than what you can even know. But what he doesn't want is half of you. He doesn't desire, should I say, just a piece. He desires all. And not only does he desire all, he deserves all. Because there's never been a time for any of us where Jesus gave us just a piece. Jesus always gave us all. He's not a shepherd that, uh, that just gives a piece. He's not a shepherd that says, I'm going to watch you and I'm going to take care of you as long as you're doing what I want you to do. How many times have we went astray and, and that shepherd comes and rescues us from our wayward time? He's not, he's not a shepherd that, that just says, hey, you look like you've got it under control or hey, that storm is coming and it looks too hard or hey, you know, I'm just busy with everyone else. So I don't have time for you. He's not a shepherd like that. He's not a savior that just gives a peace. So we don't need to be a people that only obey in a part of our life and try to submit that to him for his approval. We need to give everything and not only get rid in repentance of the things that is getting in the way, but also follow in obedience him in everything that we do, not part Partially, but with all of us. And even in the midst of that, we have to be careful. We follow Jesus, we don't follow people, right? Sometimes we can get into this comparison game where we say, look, I'm, I think I'm doing okay compared to this one. Or I think at least I'm, I'm not where this one is. Let me tell you, until we are exactly like Christ, we're not done, Right? We have more to learn, we have more to grow in, we have more to do. Until we get to glorify, glorification one day, we have more to be done. There's more sanctification. It's a lifelong journey and process to becoming like Christ. We're not there, so it should be a lifelong journey where we are striving to be who he wants us to be. So here's the challenge for us today in our invitation. Are you giving God just a piece? Or does he have your all? And I can tell you that even in the midst of the words of judgment, and we look at it and we say, well, that's harsh. But God's requirements are very clear. He wants all. He's always had that standard. He's always said he deserves it. He, his love for us is very clear because he desires a relationship with us even though we don't deserve a relationship. But you and I cannot grow satisfied in giving him the leftovers. 
We can't grow satisfied in submitting something to him and giving something to him throughout our weeks that looks like this. Something about a life lived for him that's left undone, just a, a bit here and a bit there and a bit there and, and, and justifying that away in our mind. We can't be content and satisfied in that because the Savior we serve did not set that example for us. He set the example of what it looks like to give everything and all on a cross and he died in our place. Not not only that, he came down and he rose again so that you and I can have life. And he set an example for us of what it looks like when someone gives all. Are you giving him all today? Are there areas in your life where you're not? And even more than that, are there idols in your life that you've allowed to remain? Let me say this, an idol is not, I'm not talking about a statue that you have in your house like they talk about in the Old Testament. I'm talking about anything in your life that is more important than Christ in your life. You can say, well, I don't know how to tell that. Look at how much time you devote to things. Where does your time go? Look at how much time you devote to your relationship with Christ, just your relationship. I'm not talking about ministries. I'm talking about you and him intimately. How does that compare to the rest of things in your life? Do you have idols that you need to get rid of today? Do you have areas of your life that remain incomplete where you're truly not surrendered and given all? Jesus said to the rich young ruler, okay, you followed all that, next step is follow me. You've got rid of all that, next step follow me. And he had to walk away because the idol was more important than the Savior. As we stand together, heads bowed and eyes closed this morning, that's my question to you. Do you have idols in your life that have not been repented of? And, and, and maybe you don't have idols in your life. Maybe you say, no, I'm, I'm in a good place, but uh, maybe that's not the case. Maybe there's, uh, there, there's something that you need to repent of. Uh, and secondly, uh, are you really given all? And I can say that every day, every week, I am challenged to give more. He deserves more. There's never a time where I can say I've given as much as I can because as long as I have breath in my lungs, that's a gift from him and I I can give more. Are you giving everything to him? Are you surrendered completely? And finally, do you know him as your Lord and Savior? Here's the thing. God wants a relationship with you. He came down. His son came down so that, that you could be forgiven, so that you could have eternal life. He wants a relationship with you. It doesn't matter. He doesn't say, unless you've done this or unless you've done this or unless you've done this. He said, look, if you'll come to me, I can forgive you. I will forgive you. I will make you new. I will, I will transform and redeem. I've already paid, I've paid the price. All you've got to do is come. All Israel needed to do was come. And if they would have came to him and with repentant hearts, he would have forgiven them. Don't let your pride or anything else stand in the way of you doing what you need to do for him today. He is worth more than that. Dear Heavenly Father, Lord, we just come to you today. And I praise you, Lord. There, there, there really isn't many that are like you. There's none that are like you. 
Lord, the way that, I can, that we can see your love and your faithfulness, even in judgment, that we can see your desire. You know, Lord, I, I look at you and I think, well, you, you almost pursue us. Like you, you, you want to know us. And I just feel like it's such an incredible thing that it, how could we neglect it? How could we miss it when you have done so much? Your message has been so consistent all throughout your word to show us that. Lord Jesus, if that wasn't enough, you came and you died for us. You came down to live perfectly, to obey completely, and to give all on a cross so that we could have life. I just pray for this time, Lord. This isn't, as all often these times, this isn't a time for us to justify anything. This isn't a time for us to just say, well, that must have been for someone else, Lord. This, this is your word and this is for all of us, Lord. And, and we want to make sure that we are as your church and as your people where you would have us to be. And if there's anything in any life today, Lord, help it not to be something that we allow, even myself, to remain, but it's something that we, we will repent of, that we will lift up to your throne and just trust you for the awesome father and shepherd that you are. And Lord, I just pray that your spirit would do what only you can do. And we just want to allow you to do that, Lord, today. And it's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen.